This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and, for this short season in particular, redistricting. This is an effort of the whole public affairs team here at CPR News. That's me, Caitlin Kim, and my colleague, Benta Brooklyn. Hey. And Andrew Kenny. That's me. Colorado is in the middle of its once-a-decade effort to redraw political boundaries to reflect where people have moved to and moved from in our state. And for the first time in Colorado, instead of politicians controlling the political lines, we have new politically balanced commissions working together with nonpartisan state legislative staff to get it done. And this is a big deal because Colorado is gaining a U.S. House seat. And that means more representation in Congress. That's only one of the reasons to actually care about this, though. Right. You know, because it's, it's not just Congress. These are also the political lines for statehouse seats. People could get new representatives. It can impact the balance of power between the political parties. Right now, Democrats control the state legislature. And these legislative districts also play a role in how much influence different groups and regions of the state have at the Colorado Capitol. And this goes way beyond just politics and who's in power. Mm -hmm. It's been really interesting working on this because this is Colorado's effort to fix something that a lot of people really hate, gerrymandering. It is about a core function of democracy, how to decide who is in power and how we should vote together and some really deep fundamental questions. This is going to be our first time trying something new. And I'm really interested to see whether we could possibly meet expectations for this big reform effort. So we'll have stories each Wednesday and Friday for the next few weeks about how the process works, both in public and, of course, behind the scenes. What does it take to get competitive districts? What you may or may not lose along the way? And, of course, where exactly are they going to put a new 8th congressional district in the state? Before we get to all those things, in this episode, we just want to give you some grounding in redistricting in Colorado and why we have this change. But to understand why it's also a big deal, we kind of have to start with how it used to work. Yeah, I I think that's right. One of the things I've been looking into is how Colorado did redistricting in the past. When we're talking about redistricting, we are talking about two different sets of maps. So Mm -hmm. one set of maps for congressional seats and the other for state legislative seats. Since Colorado became a state, lawmakers at the Colorado legislature have always drawn the political lines for Congress. Well, all the way back. Yes. Yeah. And what can make that a little bit tricky is it does require the state house, the state Senate and the governor to sign off on the maps. So Mm -hmm. they all have to agree. Uh, three out of the last four times, so that's going back to the 1980s census, Mm -hmm. these congressional maps landed in court because there was a stalemate and disagreement. (laughs) So a lot of stalemates. Which year was there not a stalemate? It was after the 1990 census. So during that time, Democrat Roy Romer was governor, and Colorado had a Republican-controlled state legislature. So I think that was quite a feat to get maps people in both parties supported, you know, with Republicans and Democrats. I'm curious, Benta, did they actually get a new congressional seat that year? No, Colorado in 1990 did not get a new congressional seat. So that probably made it a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1980, 
when uh, the congressional maps went to federal court. That's when Colorado got the sixth congressional district. And then in 2000, it went to court again. And that's when Colorado got the seventh congressional district. Now, 10 years ago, it was kind of unique because the state lawmakers didn't even draw maps, didn't even submit maps. Didn't even try. (laughs) Well, I bet they tried. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what happened there, we had a split legislative control. So we Mm. had Republicans in charge of the state House and Democrats, the Senate. And I, I went back through some of my old story archives and I found some tape from former Democratic Senator Raleigh Heath. He was the chair of this bipartisan legislative commission. They were charged with redrawing congressional maps and everyone was praising like this is going to be this bipartisan process and we're going to get it done. Here he is talking about why it all fell apart. Trying to do and draw maps during session with all the pressures that all of us have carrying our own bills was a lot to ask. I think with a split legislature, I remember going into that session, I don't know that any of us were really surprised because you can't get a more political process than drawing political lines and the stakes are really high. All right. Well, so, so Benta, if state lawmakers didn't draw the congressional maps, who did? It's kind of, you know, it's, it's a legal battle and ultimately a judge decided. In this case, it was the Denver District Court. All right. So what I'm what I'm hearing is that in the old system, this power to decide who would elect and how we would elect our members of Congress was basically in the hands of lawmakers. But often enough, they couldn't even get their stuff together and it would end up in the hands of judges instead. How did it happen for state legislatures, state house districts? Well, it was actually different. I mean, <laughs> since statehood, yes, it used to be state lawmakers. But in 1974, Colorado voters actually changed the Colorado Constitution and they created an 11-member citizen commission to draw maps just for the state legislature. And that was just for one set of maps. But that sounds like it was an earlier reform effort to kind of fix how we approach redistricting. Right. And and every time Colorado used this citizen commission to draw maps, it has gone to court every time (laughs) and ultimately been decided by a judge. Um, And here's Democratic attorney Mark Gruskin. One side or the other would sue to say that the map had violated the constitutional standards or federal law or some other requirement for redistricting. Great. So under both of the systems that we've used in the past, it just ends up going to the courts because this is such a divisive and kind of hard to settle issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not surprised, though, because, you know, at the state level, it's about which party controls the state legislature. And at the national level, it's about who has power in Congress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about power and no one wants to give that up. It's also about protecting their own jobs. You know, if I'm being really cynical about it, who's going to write themselves out of a job? Right. So now that we've covered how redistricting worked or didn't in the past, let's bring us a little closer to the present. 2018. That's when voters approved a new way of doing things through Amendments Y and Z. Yeah, and it's a really interesting question. Uh, When they were designing these amendments, they actually started with lawmakers and they were approved by voters in 2018. The big question was, how do you make a system that's going to be fair, whether you're the party in power or you're the party out of power? And at the heart of it was this idea that it should be run by two independent commissions who would kind of be selected by this combination of randomization and uh, nominations and judges. And and the idea was that no party could easily really specifically pick out who they wanted to be on the commission. They couldn't stack the commission. And that's a big difference from 
a, a similar commission we had from the 1970s because this commission, you can't have a partisan majority if you're a Democrat or Republican because yeah. there's four Democrats, mm -hmm. four Republicans, four unaffiliated voters, and then you need what? It's a super majority to pass maps. That's yeah. eight out of 12 votes. And the way they got to who's on those commissions is actually kind of fascinating. You know, it's this convoluted process. More than a thousand people applied to be on these commissions. And then they were run through this computer software database that randomly selected some certain number of hundreds of them. And then they got narrowed down by judges and then run through a, a literal bingo ball machine to pick out commissioners' names. And so when you filter people down through all those uh, different, you know, winnowing processes, you ended up with the 12 on the commission. Like you said, four Republican, four Democrats, and four unaffiliated. This almost semi-randomly selected group of people that's who's tasked with choosing these maps. That sounds like a very tough job all in all. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do we get that draft map? Yeah, so the amendments also contained a number of rules about what the maps were supposed to be. Uh, the shapes of the districts were supposed to be compact and contiguous. You know, basically no more spaghetti monster mm -hmm tentacle crazy districts like you might see in some other states, North Carolina. And they also said that you had to preserve communities of interest, which is a pretty broadly defined concept. Be anything from racial and ethnic groups to, you know, just counties and cities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to some extent, they were supposed to encourage competitiveness in these districts as well. But there are literal millions of different maps that would fit those criteria. Right. Mm -hmm. It is so subjective. Super subjective and yet still like has these clearly defined, well, somewhat clearly defined rules. And what they've done so far this year is that commission staff drew up a draft map and now they're going on tour to all these public hearings with it, getting feedback from the public about you know, oh, we don't want to be in a district with such and such county or such and such city. I'm not going to name names, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and then. Uh, Douglas County. Just yeah, kidding. nobody wants to be with Douglas. Sorry, guys. <laughs> now, that was just at the one hearing that I attended. I heard that. At, you heard that at your. Yes. <laughs> yeah, different hearing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rude. Well, anyway, at the, at the end of the day, they have to take all that input into account and, and try to come up with a map a final map that they all agree on that they can submit to the state Supreme Court. And if all goes well, it'll be approved by the end of the year. Sounds easy, right? And restore and our faith in democracy, yes. right? Yes, that is. Uh, that, that's the big one. We'll see. <laughs> you know, but that is like the, the hope that I think some people are carrying with this is because the gerrymandering and redistricting has been seen as such a damaging thing. Like when you see and, and I understand why, because every 10 years, blood sport where one party tries to get an advantage by flexing the rules. Nobody likes that. And maybe this will offer a less toxic way to do that. It'll be a map that everyone hates instead of just one side. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think the jury is, <laughs> yeah, right. And I think the jury is still out in the political world on whether this is a, a better system. From some of the Republicans I've talked to, they do think it's good. Um, Democrats who are in the majority right now and without this system would have a lot more control I don't know that they're as excited about it. And one person I talked to was worried that the commission doesn't have the expertise, mm -hmm. the historical knowledge, and that it wasn't the right, you know, approach. Yeah, there are some really big, big questions involved in this, and we're going to explore more of them later in the series. Right. Caitlin, there are almost a dozen states using some kind of bipartisan 
or nonpartisan commission this time around. Yeah. How well have commissions worked in other states? So now, while I hate to be a glass half empty person, but you know, I do cover Congress, let's look at an example where, to put it mildly, it did not go smoothly. Arizona. There you have a bipartisan commission, two Democrats, two Republicans, and one, one tie-breaking independent. Huh. That's a tough job to have. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, the last go around, uh, that independent commissioner faced some intense opposition for doing her job and casting the tie-breaking mm. vote, usually siding with Democrats. She, you know, she had apparently had to move out of her house at one point wow. because she was getting threats. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, the Republican-dominated Senate and the Republican governor at the time removed her from the commission. The state Supreme Court actually had to get involved and reinstated her unanimously. Mm. Yeah. And so just to point out how fraught this process can be, the Arizona legislature actually sued to stop it, saying voters did not have the authority to strip lawmakers of their power to draw district lines. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> In 2015, the Supreme Court sided with Arizona voters. And when I talked to the League of Women Voters here in Colorado, they said that that 2015 decision really paved the way for a lot more states, including Colorado, to set up independent commissions for congressional redistricting. Because prior to that Arizona decision, they didn't know if they could legally do that. Huh. So Colorado is part of this new wave of attempting to hand power more to voters and away from the legislature on this issue. It's so interesting, Lynn, to hear about Arizona, though, because it points to, like, you can draw some clear-seeming rules, but it's so hard to get politics out of this process. Exactly. Because it is politics. Exactly. (laughs) Is there a state that you feel like got it right more often than not? Um, A lot of redistricting experts point to California. I know how Coloradans feel about California, (laughs) but yes, apparently in this case, they have the gold standard, (laughs) similar to what voters approved here. So in 2010, California had a 14-member commission, five Democrats, five Republicans, four no-party or different party members, and they needed a supermajority to approve the final maps. Now, Yuri Rudinsky, a redistricting council with the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, says this system has delivered. And if you look at, say, California over the course of the last 10 years, uh, there were always districts in play for both parties. Uh, There were always competitive districts where the parties uh, had candidates that, that, that fought to win. So he's saying that the California system delivered some districts where there was like a good fight and both sides kind of had a chance and nobody got shut out. Exactly. He called them responsive districts, responding to sort of the change uh, in mood of population over time. And Lynn, this is for Congress and Statehouse? Yes, Congress and Statehouse. Now, having states use independent commissions is something that is catching on, especially when it has become a long, drawn out partisan battle that ends up in court. Cynthia Dye, who was a Democratic commissioner for the California redistricting uh, process in 2010, is an unabashed champion for an independent redistricting commission because she thinks it's a more transparent process and that the public has input. And it's important for people to be part of this process. Now, Dye did have a piece of advice for Colorado's commission. You know, the question should always be who, who is not in the room. You know, are there communities that are underserved that, uh, you know, don't have time to come out and, and testify? And are we making sure that uh, that they are being their interests are being represented? I think that's exactly right. You know, dealing with COVID and everything else people have going on in their lives. It's hard to get regular people engaged in the process. I think the counter, though, I think people will really care about this process and do 
both because of like we were saying everybody hates gerrymandering Mm -hmm. and also because like this involves you know trying to figure out what what your community is who do you want to vote with and who do you want to vote for do you want to be with other people from your party or do you want to be in a you know knock down drag out fight all the time this map will help decide kind of what your whole political future is like for your neighborhood or your city at least for the next 10 years yeah All right, so I hope this has piqued your interest for the upcoming season of Purplish. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin Kim. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Andy KNNY. We'll be back in your feeds in a couple of days with our next in-depth look at how redistricting is going and what's at stake. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. This is Purplish from CPR News.